You are now listening to the Gundog Notebook Podcast, hosted by Darrell Smith, with Paulus Ruger and Honeymoon in Vegas. Welcome back to another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. This is your host, Darrell Smith, and I want to first and foremost start by saying Happy Mother's Day. I know by the time you guys listen to it, it'll be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whenever you get around to it. And, um, you know, Mother's Day will be passed, but I want to go ahead and, and, and say that to you guys um, as a belated type thing. So, I'm excited to get this episode out the way, um, because quite frankly, I can't hold a secret. I just can't. Um, I've been sitting on this surprise and information for a long, long, long time now, um, or seems long to me, and, uh, you know, it, it's exciting. When I recorded it, it was, it was quite funny, so I'm not going to give you a spoiler alert. Um, I'll go ahead and do my usual thank yous and all that stuff, though. Um, I do want to go ahead and shout out Dakota 283 Kennels and Lion Country Supply. Right now, they've kind of got a thing together going on. So for Lion Country Supply up until June, you'll get 10% off of the Dakota 283 G3 Series Kennels. Those are the ones that I use. Now I'm going to tell you straight up that the Dakota 283 G3s are the way to go. Um, Dakota 283 has a lot of really, really, really good products. Um, the tonneau cover kennels are the, are the new ones. Um, and it's interesting how they set that up. I actually really like it. I saw a picture of the, um, the way that the dogs sit. The dogs aren't gonna necessarily be, I guess, raised and, and kind of standing in that tonneau cover kennel. Um, they're, they're definitely gonna be laying down because it's supposed to fit in the uh, you know under a tonneau cover in the back of your truck bed but it's a very 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 good kennel um you guys know i love dakota 283 and everything that they put out um and i'm looking at getting a few more of their items um in the coming future they've got like a like a washing station that i really want and i'm really interested in um so, as far as Dakota 283, check them out, dakota283kennels.com. Um, also, Lion Country Supply, of course, is, you just look that up, lcsupply.com. Um, and also, you know, I definitely want to get around to talking a little bit more about Northwoods Collective, okay? Northwoods Collective is doing some really, really, really cool stuff, all right? I know I've mentioned before Morning Thunder and Endless Migration, but just to let you guys know kind of where I'm tuned in with it, um, check out Morning Thunder Hunt. I know turkey season is, is the big hot thing right now. In the video that they did, turkey hunting with uh, Jim Ronquist of RNTV, that was definitely a cool video, you know, and I, I really like that guy's vibe. So check that stuff out. Endless Migration. You know, I talk about Jake Terry all the time. He's over Endless Migration, EndlessMigrationHunt.com. Um, they have some really cool articles there from decoy carbon to challenging uh, mainstream hunting stereotypes. And I want you guys to read that particular article because 
That was written by my buddy Jennifer Rupinski, who I also hung out with at the Yukonuba um, event. Jennifer was really, really cool. Um, she's probably going to laugh at me because I uh, talked to her for a little bit on the bus and went to sleep. I, uh, I'm definitely known for getting my, my fair share of sleep now <laughs> in the dog community. So anyway, um, Jennifer wrote some really, really good articles and has has been um, in, I think it was the first, I think it was issue zero. I want to say it was issue zero of Project Upland Magazine. If it wasn't, it was issue number one. But I'm pretty sure it was issue zero. But she's got an article in there. She writes really, really, really well. So check her work out. Um, it was good to meet her and the rest of the Project Upland crew. Um, Edgar Castillo and Jake Terry. Um, you know, just seeing those guys face to face. Just I'm still talking about that. So pardon me on that. Um, also with Project Upland, projectupland.com. Um, check out this article. It's um, by Keith Coyle. It's, it's called What is the Churchill Method of Shooting? That was really, really cool. Um, and I'm not going to spoil it, but it basically talks about um, instinctive, the instinctive method of shotgun shooting. So I want you guys to go read that. I'm all about literature and all kinds of stuff. And it is a summertime or coming up on coming up on the summertime. Guys, make sure you get out and practice on your shooting. You know, it's, it's, it's great to get out there with bird dogs and stuff, but I don't think I, um, I say that enough on this podcast. Go get out there and work on shotgun shooting um, and just work on the techniques, read about it, study it, so on and so forth. Um, I definitely think I want to get some more shotgun guys on here as well. When we talk about dog training, I think that, you know, dog training is just as much training the trainer as it is the dog. You need to stay up on your shooting as a trainer and as a handler. So, anywho, um, I actually just finally finished two episodes, or not two episodes, two articles uh, for Project Upland. So, now I can focus on getting um, the Orvis articles out that I wanted to write. Read Bryant. Don't kick me in my butt, man. I, I'm going to send you something soon. Um it's just been busy, and I'm, I'm really excited. It's been a good busy, though. I'm very, very excited for all the new opportunities that are coming up with the Gun Dog Notebook. And, you know, good folks that have reached out to me and said um, just a simple thank you for the podcast. Like, I appreciate that. Ben Bradley, you know, reached out to me today and was saying, yo, like, thank you for um, putting out episodes of the podcast you know, it keeps him inspired. So that really means a lot, guys. I hear you. Um, and I'm always listening to, you know, listener feedback and subscriber feedback. Um, so that's a, a huge thing for me. Um, Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Guys, you know I'm on Team Yukonuba. You know, I am, I am, you can hashtag it if you want to. People still do that. But I'm on. I'm on with Yukonuba, you know, and, and love what they're doing for the sporting dog and hunting dog community because of what I'm seeing out of my dog. You know, you guys know what I was feeding my dog beforehand and it wasn't necessarily working out the greatest, 
you know, I wouldn't like to starve them or nothing. It just wasn't, it was just sometimes you have dogs that just process food differently. And Vegas is actually doing extremely well on this feed. And, you know, Yukonuba has just really blown my mind with all the, 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 the transformation that's been going on with him. Um, of course, I'm feeding the uh, premium performance blend, the 3020. Uh, 30, and what I also thought was cool, and I got a chance to see this like in action and, and kind of see the methodology and, and the way that they do things. But the 3D Denta Defense system, like it's just, it's like the food is designed in a way, you know, structurally and, and with all the ingredients to reduce tartar buildup in 28 days. So not only am I monitoring my dog's weight, I'm definitely gonna be checking his teeth, man. Like I wanna feed something that I can definitely speak to, you know, and, and see. And Vegas got them puppy teeth, you know, that just fell out. So he's got his big boy teeth trying to come in and do all of that stuff. So, you know, I wanna start him off on the right type of thing. So anywho, I can get into Yuganuba all day. Um, and talk all of these great notes and I will give you guys more and more um, information as it you know as we go along right um, I want to you know if you haven't noticed kind of throw in a little you know a little tip in the middle of the episodes every so often um, you know especially for my long episodes I kind of want to throw something in there as far as you can do but um you know, just so you guys can can see what these guys are doing for the upland and hunting and waterfowl community. So, with that being said, I will get off of the air. Um, I know I can talk to y'all all day about all of these great sponsors and things, but I truly, truly, truly appreciate everything that these guys have done for me, done for the podcast, done for my dogs, done for my family. Um, so, that's a, ser- a serious, serious serious thank you um to the listeners thank you guys for keeping me motivated everybody has good days everybody has bad days but when we can sit as a community and you know blabber on about dogs and all kinds of stuff like that the good the bad the ugly the the indifferent guys that's what makes this thing so strong so anywho I will get on to the episode. This is the Gundog Notebook Podcast. Of course, this is your host, Darrell Smith, and I got some surprises for you guys. I got some special surprises coming up for you guys, so just stay tuned. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. This one's a little different. This is a little different. I got a surprise for you guys. Actually, it was a bit of a surprise for myself. This is the official announcement. This is the official announcement of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast and Project Upland. I think I hinted at it a little bit, but I'm here. I'm on the team. And I got AJ DeRosa and Nick Larson of the Project Upland podcast on the line and um we gonna flip the script apparently so gentlemen how are y'all hey how you doing <laughs> good man thanks for having us Will. <laughs> yeah yeah we're excited to uh excited to link up with you in this capacity and to be on this podcast and um i pulled nick into this like 30 minutes ago so 
yeah. <laughs> a little impromptu on our end, but I think we're I think we're gonna hijack your podcast for this episode, though. Is that and, what this uh, is? Y'all hijacking it? <laughs> we are. And I, I, I once I started thinking about the fact that we were hijacking it, I was like, I'm gonna have to call Nick in. <laughs> hey, I, I think you got the right guy to do it, though. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so the idea here is, as you've said. Um, the Gundog Notebook is now part of the Project Upland um, brand. And um, to kind of cast off the future of, of what this podcast is, we're going to take the opportunity to interview you and talk about what there is to come. All right. Well, I'm here for Hijack Away, my friends. <laughs> Nick, do you want to start? Well, yeah, AJ, I'm, I'm thinking maybe we should start with a little bit of, you know, kind of talk about, we haven't really dropped the name yet, but I think we're calling this monster project Upland listen. And uh, maybe, we should, maybe we should tell folks a little bit about what they can expect for that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so our, our newest um, kind of expansion of the project Upland brand is um, we have a series of new podcasts that are going to come under the project Upland listen um, platform, which is essentially um, all uh, Gundog and Upland-related, um, you know, podcasts and topics. We have some more stuff coming in the near future here um, for everybody to enjoy. And this is our first big leap into it, which um, Darrell was one of my first phone calls when we decided to take this on. So, and I thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're excited to do that. So that's um. And essentially what will happen for um, kind of consuming is um, once this episode goes live, when you click on the listen tab, um, you can either land on the page that has all the podcasts that come in, um, whether it's a Project Upland podcast that Nick's doing or a Gundog Notebook, and um, it will be there. Um, you can also select by version of a podcast. Once you click on that tab and, um, you know, if you're if you want to, you know, get to one or the other topic and uh, whatnot. And, um, hopefully, um, the idea is that we can help Darrell expand his brand and mm -hmm. expand his reach and, um, help him and give him the resources to help him grow, um, you know, his vision for the brand. Mm -hmm. So actually I think a great first question is Darrell. I don't know if you have it in front of you. Okay. Well, we talked a little bit about what is the vision of the Gundog notebook? Like what is the Gundog notebook so, going to be or is already? So what the gun dog notebook is already, that's actually a, I don't know if that's a large question or, or where it is, but what I wanted to do is basically create a, like a journal, almost a historical document, a, um, a training document, you know, but a way for folks to hear from people who've written their own story. Or, and people that I feel like have written their own story. Um, it's a document that I want to, um, and you said it best actually earlier, to engage with the realities and histories of, the, of hunting and gun dogs. I want to talk about all kinds of breeds, all sizes, the people that handle them, and you know how we're working to emphasize and develop their natural abilities, right? Um, I think so much of what we do and NAVDA actually does a very good job at emphasizing this is we need to focus on the dog's natural ability, number one, and number two, focus on the bond that we have with our dogs, you know, however many you have. 
um, so many of us millennial folks, man, guys our age, I feel like we're going to be the next in line to carry the torch. And the people behind us, it you know, it's our responsibility to them to create kind of a, a, an environment that's non-biased, it's a little non-traditional, and it gives people a resource. You know, the whole of the Gundog Notebook is literally to bring the community together and share ideas and, and just basically monument <laughs> those moments and honestly be real with each other about dogs too. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of brings up something, uh, you know, we've talked about a little bit uh, before. Um, so before we get too, too far into to you, just a little more on the topic. When you look at the, you know, the community, um, uh, or I should say is the industry rather than the mm-hmm. community, because obviously um, Project Upland has kind of um, become a, a little bit of a, a, a new new generation in this kind of mix. So when you look at the industry itself, um, do you think there's, there's issues that people our age or people coming, you know, that are new into this um, find you know, difficulties or find certain issues or, or certain disconnects that are occurring. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, especially for those of us that like myself didn't grow up doing it or didn't grow up on a hundred acres of land or, or, or a backyard full of stuff or just didn't grow up knowing anybody that had it, you know, there's difficulty because, in, in some ways, you meet a lot of really, really, really good people that are so willing to help. And I want to always focus on that and thank people for that. But then also you meet people that they I mean, it, it's kind of esoteric, you know, and sometimes people coming in might feel like, OK, you know, I can't go talk to this person or I can't go talk to that person about their dogs and it can come off kind of secretive at times, you know, y'all know what I'm talking about. And (laughs) it can can come off kind of secretive and, and that's not what it's about, man. Like the dogs aren't holding anybody's secrets. Um, and so what happens, you get people trying to come in that want to come in, you know, and, and so many people talk about carrying, you know, we got to save the tradition is tradition, tradition, tradition. Well, if you don't welcome people and if you don't open the door for conversation, then that tradition goes away, you know? And, and like I said, we are stewards of everything that goes on, um, you know, in the upland world, you know, and even with dog training, you know, there are books written on this stuff. Nothing should be a secret. Nothing should be esoteric, you know? Yeah, definitely. Darrell, I think, you know, it's interesting. AJ and I were talking the other day. Actually, we were going back and forth on an article that AJ wrote. And kind of the point that came up was, you know, I think sometimes, you know, not even intentionally, but people just sort of forget where they came from mm-hmm. and they forget what it was like to be brand new and green to something. Right. Like, I'm not that, I'm not that far from my complete immersion and introduction to bird dogs and i actually kind of just wrote an article about that as well and so i can i can still feel what it was like to be completely clueless and you know some of the thoughts and ideas that i had not five years ago are 
radically different than what I understand today. And I just, I think that's part of human nature. Sometimes people do just, you kind of get disconnected with who you were at the time, but it's never a bad thing to stop mm-hmm. take a minute and say, Hey, you know, let me try to put, you know, let me walk a mile in that guy or girl's shoes and right. let me try to put myself in that, in their place for a moment to understand their perspective. Right. Right. And I mean, and, and just to add to that, Nick, that that's just very important, man. We can get so caught up in talking dogs. You know, the three of us can sit yeah. here on this line all day and talk all of this fancy talk about dogs. And it's great. It's wonderful. There is a place for it. But for the novice, you speak in French to them. <laughs> and, you know, walking somewhere where people, like I said, all, all most people want to do when they get in is say, hey, I got a dog. I know it wants to hunt and I want to see it point or I want to see it flush birds. I think that's enough for somebody to say, okay, come on, like, come take a walk with me through the woods. <laughs> you know? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say, I will say this too, Darrell. I listened to your episode recently with uh, my buddy Paul Cook. I'm mm-hmm. mine because Paul, Paul's a friend of mine, but I honestly, I didn't know Paul very well, you know, a year or two ago. We kind of got to know each other a little bit on instagram and we connected the dots that we weren't far from each other and man that was a great podcast obviously paul is super knowledgeable yeah thank you he he has he's got the attitude that we're talking about man like he will take time out of his day to answer questions put self in somebody else's shoes and understand i ran dog with him late last summer Mm -hmm. and we were i was doing stuff with my dog that i had never done before running different birds and having paul walking next to me there being able to bounce questions off him i mean it was it was awesome right and i won't forget that you know and it was it was nothing for paul to do that and you Mm -hmm. know my my gratitude is is deep for him right and and i can say the same thing first of all spoiler alert and paul i know paul is listening to this by by now by the time he this gets published (laughs) um i'm doing some artwork on one of his dogs spoiler alert but um (laughs) but when i got on the phone with paul is guys like that that you know have been in the game they grew up doing this and their attitudes haven't changed you know like Paul, we have literally been itching and talking about getting up there in the grouse woods on in y'all's neck of the woods. And in exchange, and, and, you know, Nick, you, AJ, Paul, any of y'all want to come down here and get on some quail, you bet your butt I'm going to make sure that y'all get on birds. And and that's the guarantee that we have. It's you, you see what I'm saying? Like you, you love the person for just being in it and and. Honestly, it's kind of fun bringing new people in. I've had the opportunity to talk to a few people and get them in. It's almost like getting a new puppy. Like, the world is so large, you know, <laughs> you you never know what, you know, what's going on. I had a buddy, um, not had, I have a buddy um, named Eric Morris. He was the one that brought me in, you know, and the first dog I saw was a Chesapeake Bay Retriever. And people don't think about those dogs hunting as flushers, and that's all I knew. And next thing you know, I was like, well, hell, I need, I need to get myself a dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, I have to ask this. So it's like, you know, the comment in our little hunter exchange program here. <laughs> we yeah. have the Project Upland Network that frequently happens. Mm-hmm. 
I feel like this has never really been asked before or, you know, you've done a little bit of writing on it, but public Bob White in Georgia or the South, is it like, there's most people that are like, is that even a thing? Yeah. You know, like, cause, cause we're certainly led to believe previous to your writing (laughs) public Bob White in the South is not a thing. So, you know, I come down there or they're Bob White. <laughs> well, look, it's obviously a thing because I'm on on the line and talking all this jazz and writing about it. So I hope y'all don't think I'm a liar at this point and I got the photos no. to prove it. But it is a thing. And it's it's for us folks down here in Georgia, man, like that is our thing. You know, that is our tradition is pointers, setters and quail <laughs> and double guns, man. Like and by public bob whites like you have the difference between wild birds and public wild birds if that makes sense because there's so much um so much of a culture of plantation culture down here um which is a huge part of living in the south well it's that's not necessarily public (laughs) you know like plantation culture is not public at all um, it's fun. It looks great, but it's not public. Well, with us, you know, I could tell, I don't mind telling people where I go hunt public birds. I go hunt at River Creek WMA down in Thomasville, Georgia. Okay. I go hunt at, um, the historic Midway, Alabama, uh, Barber County WMA and, uh, right on the Georgia and Alabama line where Robert Whaley, you know, helped establish that for those historians and, basically brought old school cotton country into quail country. He wrote about it in Snakefoot. No, we have birds here. Now, the issue is, the issue is that, simply put, people don't want to walk. Simple as that. And it's going to sound crazy. Maybe some people want to do it. Maybe some people don't. But my buddy Shane and I, Shane Drake, I've interviewed him too, Um, He's someone that I hunt with pretty regularly as best as we can. We put in 10 miles to find two cubbies of Bob White quails. That sounds ridiculous to a lot of people. Um, And most people down here would be like, Darrell, I'm not walking that far. Um, And I'm not talking about horseback. No, you go and you pinpoint the birds. You study the birds. You go down to Tallahassee, you go to the North Florida, you know, uh, uh, WMAs and all of that stuff to get into birds. We have them here, but you're not going to find them anywhere near where I live. I'm born and raised in Atlanta and live slightly west of the uh, slightly west of it. You're going to drive, you know, you're going to. Put in miles, you're going to run some boot leather off, and your dogs are gonna be tired. And I did that, we did it with a German short hair and a Labrador. <laughs> and that was last season. So it can be done. You know, and the cubbies are there. You know, um, you've got organizations like Tall Timbers um, that do quail research. You know, if you go down to River Creek when you finish hunting. You, it's a, you sign out and then they ask you to fill out a survey to check on your experience. How was it? And these birds, you know, they're not released. They are as wild as wild can be. You just got to know where it is. Um, 
Now, I'm not going to tell you where on that WMA to go find it because <laughs> I'll tell you where to go. But I'm not going to tell you where because <laughs> it's pretty big. But, you know, the culture in Georgia is Bob White Quail. You know, we got a few grouse here and there, but we don't have we're not known for that. No, we are known for quail. My buddy, uh, Stefan Grow, like he's a hell of a quail hunter. <laughs> If you go to his social media, those birds are wild. And those birds, most of them are public. You know, now plantation birds are wild too. But like I said, the general person just does not have the money to hunt a plantation. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think the perspective for, you know, people like Nick and I is, you know, um, rough grouse are a public you know, they're a public land yes. pursuit, Yes. you know? Yep. So, I mean, I can't, you know, thinking back, I can't think that I've ever shot a grouse on private land. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I've, I've filmed a couple films here and there on private land before, but I've never personally hunted private land. So mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of like, you know, being people from, um, grouse country. I mean, we, we look, you know, down there and we instantly think plantation. So it's like, again, public access. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a millennial at the end of the day, so I'm all about public access. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, when you, when you talk quail, it's just like, you know, I mean, we got some flack from that Missouri film we did because, mm-hmm. um, you know, those were public quail and people were shooting semi-automatic shotguns. Yeah. And it was like sacrilegious to some of the plantation folk that that was even like a thing. But Right. You um, know, you know, it was crazy about that. It was, was crazy about that. The whole shotgun thing. Okay. I'm an artist. All right, I I love a really 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 nice gun. Okay, I do. I think we all do. I think everybody who is you wouldn't be you wouldn't have made an AYA shotgun film if you didn't appreciate that. But at the end of the day, okay, I think people have to remember some people just don't want to shoot two barrels. <laughs> Period. <laughs> I I think it just comes down to that. Or some people may just have that may just be the most available firearm that they have at the time or well it's definitely definitely more of an all-around gun yeah you know that, that there's so many you know i want to get away not get away from i definitely appreciate hell i shoot a 686 like i definitely only shoot two barrels and that is my choice okay that is something that i chose to do for the challenge for the artistry of it but i want to get hopefully through my podcast, get away from the, like I said, the esoteric nature of it. This ain't the boys club, man. Like just because you have an, an an 870 that, ah, shit. Shoot, 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 shoot. Hey, you got me? He dropped it. Is Nick dropped too? Uh, yeah, I think Nick dropped. Just hit him back. I'll cut that piece out. No big deal. Yeah, yeah. Hold on one second. I'm, I'm connecting him.
right. Yeah. Cool. We back. Right. I don't know. There must have been my phone if everybody dropped. It's no big deal. We'll get it. We'll get it situated. Podcast. <laughs> cut it there. Release. Yeah. It. Right. <laughs> we're, we're, look, we're we're back. On, I'll cut all that crap out and just basically sync it. Um, sync it together. Yeah. But um. Yeah. But what I was saying, um, you know, it doesn't matter if somebody, like I said, has an 870. Like, actually, it's a pretty damn good gun if you think about it. <laughs> I still got mine. I still got mine, too. Yeah, like, I sold mine to get a dog, so. <laughs> I sold my old 870 to get a dog. That's the only reason why I don't have one. But. Oh, talk about sacrilegious. Hey, look. <laughs> My my wife was like, look, uh, we need to make sure that the bank account is right. And I wanted this little pointer puppy. So I went and I sold it. And by that point, by that point in time, I had had my um, my 686. But, you know, if you're talking about getting flack for a film because of the type of gun that you used, that that's that's not that's not welcoming to the to to what it is, because. You know, I know a lot of people that don't shoot a double gun, but hell, they shoot a a, a brown and A5 Sweet 16 um, or a light 20. That's a damn nice gun. A 1962 model? <laughs> so, you know, I think that having a semi-automatic shooting quail, that's the least of, of the concern. I would be more concerned if I was out there with you guys and you shot a shot a bird and there was no emphasis on game recovery. You see what I'm saying? Or you guys were out there shooting semi-automatics and there are no plugs in the guns or you guys are shooting up whole coveys. Well, there is your issue. You know, if you got a covey of seven to 15 birds, everybody doesn't need to kill the covey. You shoot two or three birds out of that covey and move on. <laughs> Yeah, that def- that definitely makes sense. I mean, up in the North Country, um, you know, me and Nick certainly hang around other people and have some covers of our own that it's like, you know, instantly thinking of that, I think of Jay Dowd, you know, what is it, two grouse and a cover, and mm-hmm. I don't know, he doesn't have to cover for the rest of the season. Right. So, um, right. you know, there's there's definitely, and, and I think that that's a little different of a mentality of our generation where it's like, you know, don't abuse the resource, mm-hmm. you know. Um, responsible for it and you need to make sure that it's sustainable and as soon as it's not sustainable i feel like we need to be the first people to say no you know right and we we need to be we need to be the first people to say no but what about the challenge okay so I'm, i'm sorry to cut you off i just wanted to add one more thing like when you're talking about carrying any type of gun and you want to get on wild birds well, what about the dog work? Did your dog point? Did he hold the point? You see what I'm saying? Or did your dog just, you know, flashpoint, jumped in, and you just shot up a bunch of birds? Well, there was no art to that. You know, you 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 just you shot up a bunch and, and went home. Well, that's how you get an abuse of resources, in my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're talking to a couple former partridge hunters here. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we might have a little bit of a different perspective like, on popping birds without dogs and. Man, well, yeah, that's true. It's, I think it, it comes down to recovery at the end. If you're not actually putting in the effort to find that bird that you know you killed and/or followed up, um, you know, reading actually Nick's latest article that he was referencing earlier, he talked about mm-hmm. a 
a bird that he shot and and i mean it looked like it kept flight and then he ended up finding it dead because of his dog hartley um you know a distance from where it was and essentially pointing out that if he had not had that dog um he wouldn't have found that bird and and there is something to be said that there's certainly a level of lost game um that comes with the turf of dogless hunting um i don't think that that should be ever a discouraging discouraging factor um because we all start somewhere you need to be somewhere and some people just shouldn't have dogs in their life yeah um and that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be bird hunters um you know and and the reality is mother nature is not a wasteful place you Mm -hmm. know like that bird if it's dead in in that woods is going to be utilized in some capacity by some animal in some way Mm -hmm. um again being mindful of the resource itself and as long as we're making sure it's sustainable um you know you have to account for that as well you know so so that's just kind of i guess overtoting my opinion here but no i look (laughs) yeah i'm right there with you though way off <laughs> well, it's, 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 you talk about some dog man and bird hunters. Come on now, that's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. now a lot of that is it's the just the classic, you know, ethics versus the law, you know, and it's there's once you get away from the law, you know, the law does does its best to be very black and white. Once you get away from the law and into the ethic, you know, universe that's where it gets really gray and really broad and everybody kind of has to paint their own picture. And, you know, there's some wiggle room in there. There is some wiggle room, I think, for people to kind of develop their own set of standards and, and set of ethics and, right. and, you know, but it's, it's, it's ripe for people passing judgment and kind of looking down on others. And, you know, we, we don't, we hope that there's not too much of that out there, but it's, right. it's a reality. Yeah. Well, I think, I think part of it is is this balance between a user experience and a community experience. So it's like, obviously, as Project Upland, we're very passionate about growing our community, making our community, um, you know, a place for people to communicate, a place for people to get together, you know, do things like exchange hunts. It's like um, kind of all that aspect. But at the end of the day, how you as an individual go and decide to um, – you know, pursue upland, that's your user experience. It's, it's the same way as I hunt a Griffon, uh, you know, Darrell has a pointer and, uh, Nick has a setter, you know, Mm -hmm. like that's part of our user experience that we create. So it's, it's like, we need to recognize everybody can have their own version of the user experience as long as they adhere to the law and respect the resource. Um, and then past that, um, you know, in order to be a community, we need to be accepting of those individual user experiences you know so Mm -hmm. so that's what i think we have is two levels you have the user experience level and you have the community experience level so and and it can be a tough balance and i think um you know um what we've found is that certainly in in some of the more old guard crowd is that there's a serious um imbalance on that Mm -hmm. um where it's it's very much has to be a very specific way and um it's just not fair to um to the future of, of of upland it's not you know so well there there has to be you know we talked about ethics versus law right there there's the idea where you have these guys these older guys that have very well set the tone they have they they were here before us well there's the there there's the assumption that there should be this guidebook on this is what it should be this is how you should hunt dogs, or I mean hunt birds with dogs. This is what you use. This is this, and 
with our millennial minds, we've gone into it, you know, with a, a bit less resources. You see what I'm saying? A bit, a bit less former history, at least some of us, and gone in and saying, okay, well, that's cool. We'll understand it and we'll definitely, you know, appreciate the knowledge, but we're going into it with a bit more creative thinking, you know, um, you know, I think, go ahead. Well, and I think, I think kind of what you're pointing out here, uh, and, and this is something that's always been a stickler to me. And this is questionably one of the harshest things I'll ever say in a podcast, not towards <laughs> you, obviously, but towards kind of this mentality. Um, some parts of hunting got lost somewhere. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we lost, and I forget the exact quote, but I know everybody listening to this podcast, if you have any background of hunting has heard it. And it's the idea that, um, you know, you don't inherit, um, you know, you don't inherit hunting and the resource from your fathers. Uh, you know, you borrow mm-hmm. it from your grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the community needs to stop and think real hard about that and recognize that nobody owns the uplands, right. you know, nobody dictates the uplands, nobody dictates the resource. And we have a moral responsibility to leave it better than we found it. Yep. Um, and I think that the, again, this is the harshest thing I'm going to say is that it's evident that the uplands were not left better than they were found mm-hmm. for the previous generations. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to point fingers or say why or how we all know it's a very complex issue and there's a million moving parts, but there was certainly a lot of selfish nature that went into getting there. Oh, I, I um, absolutely agree. Of, right. And it's a lot of what comes out now where it's another generation telling a new generation that there's only one way to do things and you have to do it our way or we're just going to destroy it, which is almost some of the attitude. Again, I feel like this is almost too much of a gener- generalization because as everybody's pointed out, I know plenty of older people that have been an amazing resource to me, have mentored me, have shared so much knowledge with me and had done nothing but open arms. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's kind of a harsh generalization, but mm-hmm. um, I will say as a millennial that if, if any generation has a right to generalize another generation, it's us because I'm tired of getting generalized. So right. and, and, uh, yeah, agreed. Agreed. And so, you know, there's, there's that level to it and, and that's it. You know, it's, it's, we're, we recognize, and I think that that's culturally where a lot of us are very different, is that we recognize that we have a responsibility to leave it better. Yeah. And that mentality is a mentality that we don't own it. It's not ours. Mm-hmm. It's not ours to abuse. It's not ours to keep. It's not ours to do anything. It's the only thing we can do is leave it better because it's borrowed. It's, right. it's something that you have to give back eventually. Right. And, and you pointed out something, you know, nature will recycle itself. Nature ain't wasteful. It's going to be here long after us <laughs> and long after our kids. So why not leave it better, man? I'm here for it. <laughs> I feel like we got way too deep, way too quick. We were supposed to ask questions like, hey, girl, like, why did you get a bird dog? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking on the list, AJ. I don't see it. Like, we had kind of a rough outline here on questions. And I said, you know, just like, let's kind of, you know, you know, go where things bring us. But, man, yeah. we're... Well, I mean, Nick, you got to reel this in. (laughs) (laughs) Darrell, I got to ask you about. Okay. What, what the heck inspired you to do this podcast? Oh man. All right. All right. All right. So y'all talking about, uh, long winded. I'll try and keep it short. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so 
I I started man uh, a while back on with pit bulls. Like anybody that talks to me long enough knows that I had pit bulls a while back, and they were all trained. I I would I started in college and. My last one, Lucy Bell, I ended up having to rehome her um, just because I just wanted another dog and I wasn't going to be able to have two. Well, she was at the, she was, I mean, just very well obedience trained and did a whole bunch of guard dog stuff. Well, after I rehomed her, um, by this point in time, my now wife, we had just started dating. And, you know, I talked to Ashley and I was like, well, hey, you know, I want to get a lab. You know, that's that's the only thing that I knew. That's one of the few dogs that I knew that hunted. So I was like, she was like, all right, well, I know you want another dog. So, um, you know, I ended up going on and I, I looked through, looked through, looked through and kind of found, found a, a really good breeder. Didn't know anything about her. Melanie from Brandywine Kennels on, on Craigslist. Um, bought my dog. And from the day that I dropped that dog on the the front porch of my house at the time the house that I was living in at the time um I had a, a a composition notebook a black and white one I'm actually sitting here looking at it now um I didn't I had no idea that I was going to be doing any kind of podcast I just wrote the gun dog notebook on the front of it um it was just you know written in regular pencil I mean a pen and it was just very general very basic and I said well hell with these pits, I didn't look at any kind of resources to train them, but I at least want to take my own notes to make sure I'm doing something right because I know nothing about training a hunting dog. And maybe if I write it all down, I won't forget where I left off the day before. So that got really, really, really addictive. <laughs> like training a dog got very, very addictive for me. Um, and um, I was the only person I really had to talk to about it was my wife, you know, bless her heart. I talked her head off about it and we weren't married at the time, of course. And so she was like, yo, you listen to all of these other podcasts. I was listening to all kinds of stuff. And she was just kind of like, why don't you just do your own podcast? Hell, I'm, you know, I'm hearing you talk about it all the time. You know, maybe that would be something kind of cool for you to do. And I was like, huh, that's that's interesting. I don't know if I have anything to talk about, but hell, if don't nobody else want to listen to myself, I'll listen to my I'll I'll listen to it because <laughs> I was I was just that type of person. Like, obviously, if y'all can't tell, I like to talk. So <laughs> enthusiastic is what I call it. Oh, hey, I, I like the way you word it. <laughs> so I um. I had an old red uh, 2004 uh, Dodge Ram 1500 at the time. It was a pickup. I mean, it, my, it was a two-wheel drive pickup. And uh, I just sat in the truck. And I literally had my, my phone. And I had the voice memo thing. And I was like, all right, well, here it goes. I, I had a little book with me. And I just started talking. Just talk about my experience about having my first hunting dog um and so i got on uploaded it to what was i using at the time uh, uh audacity yeah <laughs> that should tell you how far back it was audacity and it just it got really really addictive then so now i'm writing all the time and now i'm talking about stuff podcast was terrible like the first few episodes were so bad they were so bad but um 
but it kept me motivated, you know? Um, and I was yeah. just hoping that somebody else out there listening to this foolishness on iTunes and SoundCloud would at least, if they didn't think I was a good trainer, at least say, look, if this guy can get on a podcast and talk all of this BS, hell, I can get a dog and do the same thing he's doing. Because, <laughs> you know, and, and it was just fun, man. Like, the podcast, I just wanted to, I wanted to help myself primarily, of course, but I wanted it to be out there. And, and to this day, I've always thought, well, hell, people pass down this legacy and stuff all the time. Well, what if one day I have kids and they want to read all my notes and stuff? Well, hell, now they have my voice. You know, now they have something that I've officially left behind, no matter how good or bad it was. And they can know either my dad knew what he was doing or this this guy was a plum fool. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's really how it got going. And my dog started to really teach me a lot of stuff. And so from that point, I was like, all right, well, you know, I was listening to guys like Ronald Bain, Hunt Dog Podcast. It was the first one I would listen to. And then Project Upland popped up. And I was like, okay, well, shoot. All right, I don't know near as much as these guys, but I really like what they're doing, and I, my dog seems to be pretty good. We had some really successful hunts, um, so let me try to get on, get people on. And it really clicked to me when I interviewed. It was early, man, like the Kansas episode where me and my buddy Eric were driving to Kansas, and I just asked him, I was like, "Hey, man, you mind if you you want to get on my podcast?" And, I, and it clicked for me, like. Talking to people about this is really cool. <laughs> and, and, and talking to myself, that's cool too. But then the podcast, I started realizing when I say it clicked, I started realizing like, yo, I'm kill I'm like destroying this learning curve thing. Like I'm learning a lot. <laughs> And I'm learning a lot in a very, very short amount of time. So at that point, it became about research. And now I was going into talking to people, not just aimlessly giggling and, and, and shooting the shit with anybody, but like really, really getting into the nitty gritty of it. And people started to like talking back to me. Who knew? <laughs> so... <laughs> So and 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 I was hearing about breeds that I'd never heard of before and training techniques and you know and and it just it goes back to what we were saying before man like just connecting with folks that's the bit I will I will talk so much trash about the internet I will and it's crazy because I got all social media and stuff but the good thing that we have about the internet is the ability for me to sit on online connect phone calls, throw it into a computer with two gentlemen that literally live across the country, Nick Larson and AJ DeRosa, and sit and talk dogs. And I do not have to talk my wife's head off about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's so true, man. I, I, I definitely say that before I got, you know, where I am today, like when it started with, it was just it was my Northwoods or blog, you know. We I still have a blog up that we yeah. have, my mm -hmm. buddy Garrett and I haven't published anything to in years. But when we started it, 
that was our that was our number one reason was hey let's put this out there and see who we can connect with and yeah. you know, there's so many people there's so many people in my life right now that I would have never known or met you know Paul Cook being one of them like, mm-hmm. I, I don't live that far from that guy but I probably would, never would have met him without the yeah. interconnectedness of of these networks and it's yeah it's pretty neat dude it's I think it's, it's, it's it's insane to just think you can hop on the call like I know just the rolodex of people that have written for project upland been on the podcast you know mm-hmm. done films with and it's like well you know we joked earlier about kind of the hunter exchange program but it's like i know that hey if, if i want to swap out somebody hunting new england grouse and i want to go hunt you know southwest quail or mm-hmm. um you know something up in the northwest or something in the south or something in the upper midwest or the midwest um, there's somebody in, you know, somebody out there in our digital world that, you know, that has just brought us so much closer to just be like, okay, like that's a thing, you know, right. like, and you can, you can find somebody and, and so many people are receptive towards, it. I mean, Instagram in particular, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I, I think, you know, it's just like the connection there, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, and mm-hmm. they're so fast and it's like a simple message away to be like. Hey, I see that you, uh, you know, you hunt uh, California quail. Uh, how's things going? Right. You know, like, <laughs> and so many talented, you know, people. I mean, I think of how much it's brought the community closer. Like, you got Edgar Castillo, which I know you just spent some time with him. Absolutely. Um, yes, sir. I'm a huge fan of his writing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think our community really loves his writing. Um, you know, and he did. He does still does hunt birds. You know, um, you got the guy from Upland. Uh, Jiu-Jitsu, um, mm-hmm. Matt Harding, all these, the Up Trucker podcast, um, the Hunting Dog podcast. I mean, it's just like our, our community is spread out. It is, it's just so close, yeah. you know, like it, just everybody is right there. It's wild, man. Like we literally all live on opposite sides of the world. And if I've never hunted a chucker before, I can either direct message or you know, do tweet, do whatever, you know, social media calls for and say, yo, what is it like hunting Chucker? And I can listen to your podcast. And and one thing that I like what you do, Nick, on, on the Project Upland podcast, you literally have a diverse array of people that are talking specifically about the experience. So though I don't know, and, 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 what I, I like that because you're not always harping on training. You got Project Upland in and yeah. of itself is talking mostly about the, the the hunter's experience. And so though I'm down here in, in Georgia, I can call across the country and say, hey, what is it? Just talk to me about what it's like hunting chucker. I couldn't imagine what that did. All the mountains and the hills and stuff like that. Like that's not a that's not a normal thing. But then you guys are like, yo, we don't we don't hunt quail like that's not a, a a public access bird for you guys and we're all sharing these experiences and you know you don't have to see anybody through a podcast you don't have to see them but and I, and I think that's just the power of, of speech in and of itself you can really get a vibe for who people are when you're talking to oh, yeah. them one on one. When I met Edgar this past uh, this past weekend at the Yukonuba trip, man, it was like we had known each other for shit ten years. <laughs> you know, and I, all I thought it was, was, "Dang, you're tall. <laughs> you are tall." <laughs> he was tall. I saw some pictures. Yeah, he's he's a tall dude, but you know, it 
And then you meet Anthony, and his his personality translates literally through the phone, and you meet him in person. You're like, oh, yep, that's Anthony. It n- none of it is fake, you know. And the thing is, all of these people are credible. You know, all of us will sit here, we'll talk all of this on the podcast, we'll do this, and when it's time to let the dogs off the gate, everybody's dogs is up to speed, up to par, and if the dogs ain't, we either gonna ask you kindly, like, hey, like, let's let's not insult you, let's scale back and let's work on this a little bit. You know, nobody that I've met in the podcast game or just the this this new upland culture nobody in this has has you know that i hang out with let me be specific nobody that i hang out with has been off-putting you know and and if you if you're still stuck in the hole of like this is the way it should be it's only gonna backtrack the rest of the culture you know you're 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 only gonna backtrack just because somebody has you know, a German short hair. I will talk cash money shit all day about a German short hair. But I done seen some of the best short hairs in the world. And at the end of the day, it should all be love. And if it's not, you you losing me, man. Well, I think that comes down to, you know, come <laughs> the, the article we did not too long ago about um, kind of the rules of hunting over somebody else's bird dog. Mm-hmm. One of them is... Uh, don't judge an entire breed by one dog. Yeah. Um, you, know, yeah. Um, you know, there's just so many different aspects that we want to jump to conclusions. And, you know, uh, Nick and I get a lot of messages in Project Upland with people asking about like, oh, like I'm thinking about getting this breed. I'm thinking about getting mm-hmm. that. And it's like, you know, you always got to ask the questions of like, okay, like, have you hunted over some, you know, right. like, have you, have you actually experienced it? What do you want in a dog? Have you thought about what you want in a dog? Because, you know, previous to that, and I'll even say it, you know, previously to getting my dog, um, you know, my prerequisite was I wanted a hypoallergenic dog. I didn't think of anything, you know, further past that, yeah. before that, after that, you know, like, so that was just the only thing I didn't realize that Griffons were known for hunting close. I didn't, I had hunted over Griffons previous to that point, but I hunted over some really good Griffons. Right. Um, you know, and, and since then, I've seen a lot of bad Griffons, you yeah. know, and my dog has had days that I'm like, dude, like, why did you even get out of the truck? Right. Um, right. And, and I think all of us like, have had that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've all had those. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, other days I get out there and I'm like, are you sure you're not a German dog instead of a French dog? Yeah. It's out so far, you know, so it's like. You know, so it's it's a lot of these um, kind of major variables in, in the gun dog world that people don't take account for. And you don't think about it, you know, and guilty as charged. Like I said, I just got here falling, like having no research, no understanding, no previous nature to it and just recognize how like um, reckless that is now looking yeah. back on it, yeah. you know, like, well, um, I mean, be like, oh, that was the reason I did that. But luckily, I mean, being a New England grouse hunter, a close working dog, you know, he works 50 to a hundred yards is, is, is a distance that I really wouldn't want him to stray from. So it worked out, but I mean, I feel like if I was in a different circumstance, maybe it wouldn't. But yeah. then again, that's me being judgmental because I've had conversations with guys out west recently, and they're like, "Yeah, we run Griffons," and I'm like, "What do you mean you run Griffons <laughs> out west? Like, like yeah. what do you you want a hundred yard dog when you want your dog to be three hundred yards away, mm-hmm. and they don't have problems with those dogs ranging?" So, mm-hmm. again, point being is that it's just really difficult uh, because you know you are talking about living animals, you're talking about 
uh, potential breeding and pedigree. You're talking about uh, training errors, which is a whole nother variable and mm-hmm. good training and bad training. And then you're just talking about the daily training, you know, like, yep. you know, my dog stomach doesn't feel good and he just can't tell me and he's having a bad day or there's two inches of snow on the ground. Dad, what's that? Right. You know, like, <laughs> right. Yeah, seriously. You know? And, there's just so many variables to it. You know, and to add to that, you know, you're talking about having certain breeds of dogs that work across the country. You know, there's the generalizations that come with it. Like, hell, when I was getting my pointer, I had a lot of people say, oh, man, you're going to get that dog. Eat. First of all, he ain't a house dog, which is BS because I live with my pointer. Um, but number two, that dog going to take off and you ain't going to never see him again. Well, no, we're all getting intelligent breeds. A griffon is an intelligent breed. A short hair is an intelligent breed. A wire hair, a drop, a pointer, a setter. We, you know, when you're talking about quality genetics, quality genetics doesn't mean the dog look good and it's it's an athlete. No, you're talking about a very a highly intelligent dog. So it's gonna it's gonna naturally learn to adjust to you. And that also goes back into what I was saying beforehand, learning to develop the bond with your dog early on. You know what I'm saying? It, for me, with my lab, you know, he set the tone for me. I like the fact that my lab will kind of turn around, he'll look at me when he's quartering, and I'll, I'll kind of do my hand to like go forward and he'll keep going. If not, I'll pull him on in. My pointer, yeah, that little joker's four months old and he's going to stretch out 60, 70, 80 yards before I know it at four months old and then think about looking back to the point where I start to have to, what they call singing to him. Like, I got to sing to the dog just for him to be like, okay, this is, we're okay. But you know, if we didn't have these quality genetics, we would not be able to have dogs that could adjust to hunting down south, to hunting out west, to hunting up north, you know, to hunting in however many you know inches of snow it is. Like, that's where the research comes in. And I made my mistakes. AJ, you've made a point. You said, you know, I don't think get it, saying that you wanted a hypoallergenic dog. I don't think that was a mistake at all because shit, me... I got a dog off of Craigslist and that was one of the best dogs I've ever hunted over because I just, I just, okay, I, I want a Labrador and I know where to find him. Well, I could have gone and spent thousands of dollars on some crazy kennel, but when you're starting out, sometimes you just don't know and you know what you like, you know what you want to look at. Nobody wants to be around a dog that they don't like and they don't like looking at <laughs> So, <laughs> you know, on the, on the note of dogs, you know, earlier we were talking a little bit about the condition of the uplands and leaving them better than we found them. I think for sure with dogs in general, we can definitely thank the breeders and trainers that came before us. Cause I think us as younger upland hunters, we are definitely reaping the benefits of quality breeding mm-hmm. over time. And you do, you do hear more stories, you know, you hear stories of like in the past of dogs that are harder to train. And, and I think a lot of those breed stereotypes, I think a lot of those kind of were, they sort of come from the past. And, you know, now I just think like, we kind of all agree, like there's, 
there's so many options within most of the well-known breeds that it's just, it's really hard to go wrong with any breed if you do right. the right, you know, you do the research and you find the right dog. So, right. you know, we definitely can be thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, we, in, in that way, I mean, that is something we have covered it, you know? Um, yep. And, and, you know, but the one thing about that is, you know, it's, it's our responsibility as a generation to keep that going. Um, yep. And that's one of those things. And, can't remember the exact quote um but i used it in the first version of the obidio complex um and essentially it's like you know evolution like i'm trying to remember the exact word and so it's like is it it's like art without um essentially what it's don't advance we don't continue advance what we do Mm -hmm. um it means that what we're doing has become a corpse so Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That idea is that we should push to evolve our training techniques. We should push to continue to perfect breeds. We should push to, you know, continue to carry this on. And and that's one of those disconnects that we can't do. Like we can't have stopped, you know, we can't have a hard stop now and say, okay, like, you know, we've, we've perfected every training method. We've perfected every breed. We've done all those things. You no, know, it needs to be a constant evolution because once we stop that evolution, it becomes a course. Right. You know, right. Um, right. and it's got to go. Um, and in that sense, and it's like, you know, Nick, you bring up such a valid point is, um, and I know this is a hot topic for a lot of people. I can't say that I'm, you know, I'm necessarily directly experiencing because I guess I just haven't seen to that scale, but you know, there's certainly a level of unpopularity when it comes to negative reinforcement uh, training with a little bit of a heavy hand um, inside of your generations, um, which I think is a lot of a product of when dogs were a lot harder to train. Right. Um, you know, so that now forces the evolution of, of you know, what what works, what doesn't work. You know, if, if I can only speak to my dog, you know, I can't speak to others because I've never trained another dog. I've never, uh, you know, I've, I've worked around other dogs. You know, I've, I've hang out with Dave training when he's trained some other dogs, mostly Griffons, just because Grim's hanging around there. And, um, you know, the one thing I will say is that Grim responds better to praise than he does to negative reinforcement. Like it's just, and, and I don't know, again, is that yeah. a product of, of, it's definitely a product of some kind of evolution and breeding, but were Griffons that way 50 years ago? I don't know, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, so there is certainly a challenge to say, and that's again, gets down to that user experience is picking and choosing what works for you and what is working and being okay to challenge and say, okay, like, why am I doing this to my dog? Um, I don't expect everybody in our community to be able to force fetch train their dog. You know, right. like I just don't think we live in that world anymore. Um, and that's part of that evolution. You right. know? But again, there is a respect and credence that needs to be given to the people before us, the trainers that came, the, the legends that are out there, the people you know, um, that started these organizations, the people that started the ball rolling um, because, you know, they, they trailblazed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, trails need to keep going and the trails yep. need to be maintained. <laughs> yep, absolutely. <laughs> <It's> absolutely. <laughs> yep, I agree. You said it perfect right there, man. Uh, we got off topic again. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's, that's probably going to keep happening. So I'm going to ask this, Darrell, because I uh, I did not, I was not fortunate enough to go to the Yukonuba event. I couldn't, well, I should say I, I had a turkey hunt that I went on, which was, it was a blast. But, uh-huh. Uh Anyways, I didn't go to the Yukonu event, but man, it looked like everybody else in the whole world went from what I saw. <laughs> it was on, a party. Uh, How was it, dude? 
All right. So first and foremost, y'all are hilarious because we all keep getting off topic. Yes, but I'm loving it. I'm eating it up. So thank you for humoring all of my foolishness. Um, as far as the the Yukonuba trip goes, or went, um, first and foremost, I just you know want to always publicly say that. I just, I owe it to you, Ganuba, for giving me a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Um, I'm big, my grandfather and I are very big into horse racing and the derby, so that was a small part of the trip. It was a very fun part of the trip, but, you know, I just wanted to publicly thank them for saying, hey, Darrell, come on out, and thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to get out there, number one. Number two, as far as the trip, um... They gave me a hell of a reason, a hell of a reason to get out there and and really think about the food that I was feeding my dog beforehand, you know, deal with the issues that I may have had with my dog processing food and so on and so forth. And they explained why their food was so good. They gave us, you know, I'm a history person. They gave us a whole history of... um you know, the brand and the various connections. Um, they gave us the way that their their research and development impacts the creatures that they're feeding, dogs and cats. They showed us what it was like and then, I mean, like, gave us proof that it works. Um, you know, but what was most important to me was the fact that they were so transparent and they were so open-minded you know, they didn't just, it, it. I say it was a party, but it, it really was a, a, a host of, of just a bunch of good dog trainers, established veteran trainers and the new guys, you know, new to the block that have, have some kind of presence, whether it be in the dog training world, whether it be in the social media world, the writing world, um, whatever it was, wherever your, your angle is. Yukonuba and its staff just really, really, really opened opened up to what we had to say. Good, bad, and indifferent. You know, um, they probably had more questions than they did presentation. One thing I like about them is they've always said we don't we're not selling you a product. And I and, and this ain't no sales pitch for them. I know they're about to hop on the podcast, but like there you know for me it just made sense why they've been around so long and why they've been so successful and and what they're doing is taking a step in the bird dog world in the retriever world you know in the versatile breed world and talking to the people who have their feet on the ground that to me means more than just saying hey you know we got a bunch of phd guys that you know, went to school for this and maybe they hunt, maybe they don't hunt, but this is the food that scientifically works. No, they went to the source. They asked a bunch of people, those folks out there that I spoke to, you know, every trainer, every hunter, every writer has had their feet on the ground, if that makes sense. They are out there busting their tail to make sure these dogs are up to par. You know, um, guys like Russ, like he's, he's, you know, he's kind of like a guru, like he broke down the ingredients in the food and why this does this and why this does that. 
you know, and more of that will come in the podcast later. But to be on a trip and to 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 be supported by a company that is truly invested and truly interested in pursuing a a a, a lifestyle in the gun dog world and the bird dog world that meant a ton, man. You know, um, and of course we had a dang good time doing it. You know, we laughed a lot. You know, we 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 you know shared crazy dog stories. We got down to the science of it. I mean, it it was so many different components. And then, of course, they allowed me to be out there and talk a whole bunch of foolishness about some horses that I thought I knew about, and I lost a whole bunch of money. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's it's my understanding too, Darrell, that um, and and I think it's important people here. And I got to spend some time with Doctor Joe Spoo mm-hmm. um, doing some upcoming work with us. I'm super knowledgeable guy, and he worked on the the new Yukonuba formula is that um, after Mars took over Yukonuba, um, that they actually redid the formula. So yes, yes. if anybody had kind of any relationship, I'm, I think it would have been like pre 2017 mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, things have since changed. Mm-hmm. And I know that the amount of research, and again, I ended up talking to Joe extensively on, it was a bit, a bit of an accident. We were working on some other stuff. Um, and, I had found out this whole thing that, um, you know, grain-free foods cause um, heart murmurs. And actually one of uh, my dogs uh, has a heart murmur and uh, whatnot, not my, uh, not my hunting dog, but our, our other, our other dog. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had made the switch and I, you know, like any good millennial spent a lot of time on the internet deciding that I was going to get every boutique food there ever was that was like $800 million per bag mm-hmm. uh, and whatnot. And then I had a conversation with Joe because he is a veterinarian, a veterinarian by trade and he now counsels on any kind of issues I have with my dogs. And he just laid it down so black and white um, and what went into the formula and what it actually means and the real science behind it and just being like, listen, don't fall for like the good marketing of, of – um, you know, these kind of boutique brands and, and whatnot and understand that this is like a thing. And I will say, since I started feeding it to Grimm, I had some moments where I thought there were some issues when we first adjusted over, but it's like, you know, not to talk about dog poop on a radio. But, yeah, you're good. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's, it's more consistent than it used to be, um, which is great because um, he wasn't consistent at all before. Um, and, you know, there's definitely an improvement. I mean, his energy level is like... I know that shouldn't be like a complaint, but it's like his energy level went through the roof. Like he yep. bounces off the house now, like he's bouncing off of everything. So it's like, he's got to be run more, but I mean, that's great. Right. right. <laughs> well, so. you, you know, you're, you're dealing with a similar, a, a, a similar set of issues that I was dealing with, with my pointer. You know, I got a lot of flack for my dog and pointers are just lean dogs anyway first and foremost but i was getting a lot of flag because people were like oh well you know your dog doesn't look fed your dog doesn't look fed well no my dog is definitely fed i'm feeding him too much what i feel like but the dog isn't processing the food you see what i'm saying yeah the dog is is yeah. is, is you're putting something in and it's just coming out the back end and that's not what you want you know the amount in in what I also learned out there, you know, feeding your dog four or five, six times a day, that's great. But if you've got to do that much, 
we need to start asking questions again about the dog's processing. When I started feeding Yukonuba, um, you know, I got a surprise bag um, from my wife because <laughs> I was talking to her so much about it. She just went and bought me a, you know, bought uh, Vegas and Ruger the performance uh, thirty twenty. Um, while I was gone, she brought it to me. So when I started feeding that, I immediately noticed the change in my little dog, Vegas, the pointer. He was holding weight better. Um, yes, he's running. I mean, he already runs around a lot anyway, but he was running around a lot. And I, I, I didn't feel like, you know, he was running around without nothing in the tank, despite how much I fed him. Actually, he filled up more because of it. Um, you know, he, he kind of stopped eating for a while. Like, all right, I'm done. And I, I, and that speaks to the quality of ingredients. You know, what Yukonuba did was break down, you know, the chicken and the chicken byproduct meal and really defined, you know, where they're getting that stuff from and, and, and how it correlates to the dog's performance. I don't want to get into all of that because it's all of this crazy science that <laughs> is, is just yeah, way know. above like, my head, but... We just turned into like an overkill. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to... But it's like, that was completely unintentional. Right. <laughs> what I will say, <laughs> though, what I will say is Yukonuba, for my dog, I was glad that I made the switch over um, for many of the issues that you brought up with your other dog. Um that made me, they brought up at the uh, seminar too. And I was yeah. also worried about that. Like, oh, damn, I don't want my daughter to have heart murmurs and this and that. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, to put it in the plainest terms, the type of dog, this is the way that I understood it, right? The type of dogs that we are running, all right? We're basically running a Porsche or a Ferrari for a bird dog. You're not going to put, you know, regular unleaded or mid-grade unleaded gas in the tank. You're going to put premium gas in the tank. You put, you know, mid-grade or, or, or regular in if you want to, and you're going to start seeing a shutdown. You know, whereas I was definitely feeding my dog a whole lot, but you start to understand the differences, you know, in what the food does. And then, I mean, even so much as, you know, reducing, you know, the buildup of, of uh, plaque and tartar and stuff on the teeth. You got to look at those things. And Yukonuba's food is literally the shape of the of the grain is designed to decrease that. You know, it's it's wild little details like that. And their their food is tried and true tested, you know, without getting into all the specifics of how they do it. The food is, is, is basically the dogs are given, are giving, ugh, I'm sorry, I can't talk. The dogs are given a choice and, and those choices contribute to the facts and, and the science that goes into developing, you know, a, a performance working endurance dog food. So that's my spiel. I'll get too technical. <laughs> Man, I feel like I feel like if if I was properly set up for this, like the only way to move this conversation forward would just be to spin the wheel and see what topic. Right. Right. Well, we have a. I feel like we have a lot of questions in here that we, we've kind of hit and and, and, yeah. and and whatnot. But 
one of the big things in getting back to this podcast, you know, meaning the gun dog notebook and where the gun dog notebook is going, um, you know, how can the audience get involved? How can they contribute? What kind of input, um, you know, are, are you looking for? How are you looking to interact with your community? You know? Yeah. Well, as far as the community, number one, I have a, a pretty active social media presence. Um, I post sometimes too much. You know, the things that I'm posting on there are founded on research and reading and studying and all of those things. And let me know, you know, if I post something or I talk about something on a podcast and you decide to go try it or you disagree with it, trust me, I'm totally open to the discussion. A discussion, not an argument. You know, I want to encourage the community to reach back out to me and let me know, hey, this is what I'm interested in. And many people have already started to do so. But let me know what you're interested in hearing about. You know, I know what I'm interested in hearing about as a dog trainer, but a lot of people don't have the problems that I have. And I don't have the same problems a lot of other people have. You know, if I haven't covered a certain sector of breeds or a certain sector of the country or a certain sector of training, you know, let me know and I'll be sure to do my research, number one, and find a guest that's suitable. I don't mind requests for people to say, hey, I think this person is a good fit. Or, you know, if you feel like you you yourself are a good fit, man, let's talk. But the only way for this podcast to get any better is to reach out and say, hey, this is what it is. And sometimes I'm a little slow to respond because I I still work every day. But, you know, what I want to do outside of this, um, I have the Gundog Notebook listeners page. Um, You know, I periodically check the Project Upland page and I've got the Gundog Notebook page in and of itself. All of these things are on Facebook. You know, make a comment. Let's start a discussion. You know, uh, reach out to me through direct messaging and say, hey, Darrell, I want to talk about this or I want to hear you talk about this or you guys just blabbered on and none of the conversation was beneficial. Um, The goal of this podcast is to be something that transcends time. Honestly, that's probably a huge statement, but it is to be fun, intellectual educational and something that transcends time. And we cannot do that if we don't form a community in a, in a community discussion around these dogs. You know, as long as the conversation is founded on love, I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm definitely here for it. Nick, you there? Yep. Yeah. All right. Um, what do you got? What else you got for him? Oh man, that's uh, that was well said. Was it? Jumping into a question was almost like, <laughs> like okay, Darrell. No, that's uh, no, that's great. I mean, I think um, everybody, you know, on on all topics of. Uh, sorry, Nick. I was like, hey, Nick, do you have something? No, to don't worry. Oh, <laughs> I like. Man, I'm all. This is why I don't have podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You are Mr. Project Upland. Hey, run it. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, 
I, I think what's important for all the Project Upland parts of our brands and everything else is that we're, we're hugely interested in the community, and the community is always our number one goal. Um, you know, so whether it's filmmaking, um, you know, writing, the podcast, user feedback, user participation, uh, user engagement is just so important to us as mm-hmm. a brand. Um, you know, so, so that's just, it, it's like, I don't know if everybody always recognizes, but the community influences these brands more than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's not um, other brands that come in and spend money to promote on it. It's, 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 this is a community dictated brand. Yep. Um, and, and because of that, we want that interaction. And, you know, obviously there's only so much we can do, uh, so many podcasts we can actually cover, uh, you know, so many films we can make. And there's so many people that come up with so many great ideas, so many great concepts. And it's like, you know, we're never going to be able to do them all. We yep. try and we get there and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, that's that's just a huge point is, is user participation, please, always, you know. And yeah, you- absolutely. I would, I would second that and say that, you know, obviously – I see it firsthand because I we started requesting, we started asking our listeners to send us guest suggestions on the Project Upland podcast, kind of like Jarrell does, and and you know I've got I've got a list of guest suggestions that would keep the the Project Upland podcast going for a long, long time. You mm-hmm. know I'll never get to them all, mm-hmm. and you know I hope people don't feel bad. I hope people realize same here. <laughs> yeah, you know and, I owe a couple and, of people some podcasts, so same here. Oh, man, I have. I have emails that I haven't even responded to that I just like sometimes I lay awake at night and I'm like oh man I feel like such an asshole you yeah know? <laughs> I haven't got a chance to get back to them and it's like and I'm hit or miss I'm a booty guy so it's like I can wake up one day and respond to 80 million emails and wake up the mm-hmm. next and, and not even be able to acknowledge that the emails exist <laughs> so that that is an across the board apology I think we can say that <laughs> yeah there you go um, let me ask y'all this real quick because I, I know y'all are y'all are probably at the tail end of the questions or at least coming to it or you know as far as time I can sit here all day but I did want to ask you guys what are what do you guys want to see out of the Gundog Notebook for me to contribute to Project Upland? Let's put that on the table. Um, so a big thing for me here is um, you know first and foremost this is about community. Um, we support all the podcasts out there, whether they're in the Project Upland listen space or not. Um, there's some great people that have podcasts, um, and they do some great things. Um, so it was important when you know we talked about this that um, we wanted to make sure that identities were clear. Um, you know, I guess it could be pretty easy to try to confuse the Hunting Dog podcast pretty closely with Gun Dog Notebook, but I think they're fundamentally different mm-hmm. um, in the sense that. Um, you know, the hunting dog podcast, the experience level there from Ron is just, um, a caliber that, you know, we can aspire to as far as his knowledge and experience and the people he knows and the able, the way he's able to dissect topics and, and whatnot. Um, and I, so I think the approach here and the importance to me for this is very much the novice approach, um, mm-hmm. which has been a very strong tone of project upland. So, uh, what I see this podcast as the identity here is that as a novice, I can listen to this conver- you know, these conversations. And when there's words that are thrown out, you know, Darrell can stop and explain those words, you know, and yeah. understand it. It's so novicely open to be like, you know, there's nothing that's too simple 
to be here or, you know, things that are overcomplicated that can't be simplified. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so, so that perspective, that keeping, keeping the eyes on the fact that the novice perspective is so important because um, the reality is, is we, we should never stop learning. We all have to start somewhere, and we're all mm-hmm. going to pick up this torch at a different pace. You know, I'm on year three with my dog. I believe, Nick, you're on what, coming into year five or six with your dog? This will be, yeah, sixth season, yep. Right, and now this will be for you for a pointing dog. This will be your first season, Darrell. But first the season pointing, is, third season lab. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Even though each of us is only a few years apart in this road, those are vastly different points in bird dogs. Yep. Um, but it's important that we always remember people in year one. Yep. You know, and um, make sure that we're we're allowing people to come in at any point and say, okay, uh, these talking, these people are talking about steady training a dog or these, you know, what is steady training? You know, like why, you yeah. know, like yeah. just, just again, maintaining that tone of that people are going to come here and they're not going to know anything. Just like the first morning I sat in a hotel parking lot, with my puppy in my lap, Grim being like, "Oh my God, I made the biggest mistake." Yeah, <laughs> you know, because um, you know, it's a roller coaster, and and especially your first time. And I will say it from experience because I'm still going through it right now. There are moments that you're like, "What the fuck is going on?" Mm-hmm. Like, you just don't know, and it feels helpless and hopeless, and. Um, you need people to be candid around you. You need people to be honest and you need people to not sell you the, the super dog syndrome, mm-hmm. um, that every dog is amazing because every dog is not amazing. And even the dogs that are amazing have bad days, yep. you know? So, yep. um, getting people through that and having the support system, you know, whether again, it's the emotional support, the ability to say, Hey, it's, it's, uh, okay. If your dog ate a bird or, um, or even being like, you know, no, question is a stupid question um so maintaining that novice tone um is hugely important yep absolutely absolutely and that's that's a a torch and a responsibility i want to make sure that i um i do for project upland so nick do you have anything to throw in on that by chance yeah i do and i'll kind of go a little bit more of a a micro level i think and refer back to you know the interview that you did with Paul Cook and Mm -hmm. the way that you had a conversation with him and you brought to the surface his ideas his thoughts his methodologies that is the kind of stuff that I think adds serious value to people because we live in the information age right there's no Mm -hmm. shortage of information so we might as well expose all of it so as you continue to have guests on this show specifically dog trainers, you know, having a conversation with them, you have the luxury of speech and audio and people can really provide context and they can explain their methodologies in a way that it might not make sense to everybody, but that particular podcast could be the podcast that connects the dots for one specific person, right? Like sometimes somebody will say something in a way that you've heard it three or four times before, but you didn't get it. But then that, person said it in a way where you said ah i get it now and i think dog training is that way a lot so i think you know some consistency in your interviews and that you're kind of asking the same thread of questions to different trainers to try to get out 
you know, their sort of like their collective thoughts on these issues that we all face, man. I mean, I think that's that's a real opportunity for you. And I think you do a good job. of. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. (laughs) Absolutely. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So where, you know, one of our questions here was, what do you think the future of the gun talk world will look like 20 years down the road? Okay. Of this list of a dozen or so questions, it's the only one that maybe we haven't hit at all. The rest of these, we've at least covered a few words in each of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, looking at that, I mean, we've already seen in the past, you know, five years of the upland culture change before our eyes. Um, it's it's. I mean, and that has to do with um, a changing demographic, Mm -hmm. um, which is only going to get exasperated with time. So in 20 years, in 20 years, 20 years, man, 20 years, that's that's do the math on how many dogs that is. That's a lot. That is (laughs) shit, man. It depends on how many dogs I'm getting every couple of years. So. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nick Standard, Nick, you're going on the what are you going to do every three years? No, 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 no. We're more spaced out than that. Yeah, like five, between five and seven. That's the number that told me, and I'm gonna go with it, and uh, we'll see how it works out. Well, okay, cool. My my wife so and I. So you every five years. That's that's uh, you. You have a puppy right now, so that's four more dogs from now. That's four more so dogs. You, from let's now. say you. You've stuck to pointers because uh-huh. uh, you haven't hunted over Hartley and decided to switch over to setters. And, <laughs> and you definitely didn't decide to hunt a griffon in the south because you die in the heat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you're, you're five English pointers into this and you're 20 years into podcasting. You're probably flying in a spaceship when you're hosting <laughs> these episodes and pointing space birds at right. Mars planet terry system so where where is the world of upland <laughs> the world of upland i'm i'm shooting beretta uh 686 686 lasers okay um <laughs> <laughs> um but no seriously i think in 20 years um my contribution it would be a couple of different couple of different answers um i hope in 20 years my contribution to this podcast is um at the level of a Ron Bain, okay, as far as this podcast goes. And hell, hopefully further along. Um, I'll be done talk to so many people. But um, my contribution, I hope that by then I have started breeding because I do plan on breeding at some point in time. Um, I've got some kind of a kennel and I've got some young you know, young kid that I done gave birth to somehow. Um, you know, I got a daughter on the way. Maybe she want to take the reins or, or a son. Maybe they want to pick up where the gun dog notebook leaves off and brings in new ideas. But hopefully my contribution to it in 20 years leads this community to be much more diverse. Number one. All right. Um, I'm aware that we are going to have fewer old heads to speak speak with in person um so in 20 years i will have hopefully covered as many of the old legends as possible um i think in 20 years 
our standards for the bird dogs are going to be significantly higher. I think we're going to have dogs in 20 years that make our dogs now look like child's play. Um, I think... But any of them going to be hypoallergenic. Right? <laughs> and, there, and there is the question. <laughs> I think we will have hypoallergenic Labradors, okay? <laughs> Um, I think that the standards for performance are going to be much um, are going to be much higher. I think I honestly think the dog foods that we're going to be feeding um, based on the hunting breeds are going to be much more concrete. Um, I'm hoping in 20 years, Yukonuba is still dealing with me. I hope so. Um, but <laughs> but really, I think that the most important thing about 20 years down the road is we have challenged our dogs in such ways that we have advanced the breed standards and the performance standards, the field trials, the hunt tests, um, the utility tests, the natural ability. I think as a collective community, because we're supposed to be doing this for the dogs, I think there should be enough knowledge out there in 20 years to be able to very clearly differentiate the good from the bad and to be able to say we moved forward. And like AJ always says, the Uplands is now better than what it was last time we saw it, which was what we had when we left it, if that makes any kind of sense. Um, and we're going to have to re-listen to this podcast in 20 years and see how much we fucked up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Be like, God dang it, Darrell, it didn't happen. <laughs> um, in 20 years, I... still aren't hypoallergenic, damn it. <laughs> God dang it. Um, I hope in 20 years, all of the knowledge, because I'm big on books, I hope all of our books in 20 years... AJ DeRosa, Nick Larson, and Darrell Smith um, all have some kind of a published book of some sort, okay, that says this is where we were and, and this was our contribution, okay? We've got a standard set in place. We did our, our damnedest to make sure that these dogs were up to par and some young whippersnapper comes in and takes the reins. Well, I think I think that's you know one thing I'll say for the future is um, it is so important that we ge- that we embrace Generation Z mm-hmm. as millennial. Mm-hmm. I don't care how different they are. I will never treat them the way that some of us have experienced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. You know, so it's so important that we let people do things the way they want to do them in twenty years, yep. um, and that's okay. You know, like all right, all, everybody's stuff will still go down in history. The names that were great a hundred years ago are still great today. The names that are great 10 years ago will still be great in 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and I know Project Upland, we're going to do our damnedest to make sure that, like you said, that there's a record of what has come and try to preserve as much of what is here right now. Um, You know, we have gotten some cool opportunities like Walt Lester was, you know, an incredible experience. Um, And there are so many other people that we haven't gotten an opportunity to get in front of. And I hope, you know, if there are people out there that listen to this podcast, listen to Project Upland, and just hear this message. If there are people, these old timers, these people that are, are legends, you know, that we just can't get access to, and trust me, we've tried, and you have access to them, or you are one of them, 
mm-hmm. please reach out to us. We want to tell your story and we want to make sure that your story is remembered forever. Yep. Um, and that is so important to us, the history of it all. Um, you know, and kind of like what you said is um, us being able to see where we are in 20 years is part of making sure we know where we came from in the first place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is our whole responsibility you know, this podcast is pretty much null and void. If if we don't do our jobs to pass it on, you know, and and honestly, whatever cloud based software there is, whatever we can do to make sure none of these episodes get lost, you know, and, and we keep going, you know, I hope in 20 years, hell, we all sitting back and kicking back and having a beer like, yo, we did it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't store the episodes in the doomsday vault. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the ice is gone. <laughs> God. We got to figure out a way to keep uh, all of this. <laughs> but no, man, I, I think in 20 years with the energy that Project Upland is putting in, um, with the energy that the Gundog Notebook is putting in, and now that we've come together to collaborate and partner, um, I, you know, I'm gonna call it now. I think we will have have done our job. I think we will. Well, that's a that's a high bar to. to I don't even know what our job is. <laughs> our job, is, well, our job is doing the exact same thing we're doing right now, talking about yeah, dogs, yeah. making well, sure, and go and doing all of that stuff. And, and not losing focus of the important things, which is, first of all, if you st- anybody stops enjoying this at any point, don't do it anymore. You yeah. know, like, yeah. do what you love. You know, um, don't let other things in the world get away in what you love. Um, and the biggest moral responsibility, again, I always say, you know, leave the uplands better than, than we found it. And the biggest, you know, that that's a cultural statement, but it's also an environmental statement. Um, and I will say, as a hunter... Um, I grew up hunting. I've taken from woods. I have eaten all sorts of animals and whatnot. Um, we need to leave our environment better than we found it because we've been going in the wrong direction for far too long, and we need to learn how to start going in the other direction again. Um, so that statement's huge. So I hope that always weighs on everybody's minds when they think about what they do or they think about how they're contributing or how they can contribute or what we can do. Um, but the biggest thing is a community that we do rally around organizations and things that are pushing to make things better. And also that we are watchdogs as a community to make sure that we're doing things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we don't lose sight in the fact that, you know, our environment, our planet, our resources are, are more important than any of it at the end of the day. Yep. You know? Yep. Yep. Those public yep. Bob White, man. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need more. And and in twenty years, hopefully y'all be done came down here and hunted them things with me, man. Yeah, because I I don't know. We're gonna need a little more than two coveys in a day. So. <laughs> I know that wasn't a lot, but I was when I, when I tell you that is it was the the best feeling in the world for those birds to flush, man. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. my my last day of the season up here in central New Hampshire. I mean, central New Hampshire does not have good grouse numbers. You got to go up to northern New Hampshire and. uh you know, I, I like to take my gun and dog for a walk. And uh, we went out the last day of the season this year. And, you know, I think I was out for about six hours. And I flushed two grouse, you know, shot two shots, missed both shots. And 
Those are the only two birds I saw, and it was the the absolute end of the trip. You know, it was just starting to get dark, and um, you know, that's just like, you know, if you love it, that's fine. You know, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's, it's so worth the, the mm-hmm. whole day to walk for, you know, minimal contact because it's worth it because it's like you know it's there. The woodcock aren't always here, so some days you're like, you know what, I just want to get out there and I want to go and go and go and go and hopefully eventually find them. But now, right now, I look back and it's like the few places I do find grouse about here, I, I think, you know, do I really want to actually want to shoot a grouse here? You know, like, is it is it bad if I shoot a grouse here? You know, I start to think about those things. So. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. Man, I, I'm, I'm here for it, guys. <laughs> I'm all fired up now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you, um, and thank yeah. you for letting me and Nick hijack the uh, podcast, and Nick, thank you for um, accommodating my last-minute request, and I kept Darrell in the dark, even though I only told you an hour and a half before. <laughs> <laughs> Darrell texted me about five minutes before we were supposed to hop on, he's like, hey, we're still on, and I was like, yep, and Nick's coming too. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, well I, was, I was happy to get the call, man, it was, uh, it was fun. Wanted to jump on and yeah, it was thanks, Daryl, yeah. for uh, for letting us take over. Well, I yes. appreciate. Look, I I can't thank y'all enough for taking over. You you were already a part of our community, but um, welcome to um, kind yeah. of the inner workings of the team and and helping us try to continue to grow the vision and helping bring your vision into our vision. Yep. Um, you know, and and we truly appreciate it. We truly appreciate your passion and enthusiasm, as I call it um because it's intoxicating um and it makes people excited and we need people to get excited well i yeah, appreciate and any of uh any of Darrell's listeners that you know are perhaps unfamiliar with project upland you know so it's we're we're definitely happy to be exposed to mm-hmm. a new group of people possibly yep. so thanks Darrell. well i'm gonna encourage everybody um to go right now um download subscribe rate and review okay it's important um the Gundog Notebook Podcast, Project Upland Podcast, and also you guys will notice a new logo that is now, by the, by the time this gets published, it'll be out there. Um, there is a new change, and this is what it was. Um, I definitely want to thank our sponsors collectively for Project Upland and uh, the Gundog Notebook, Dakota 283 Kennels, Yukonuba, um, uh, Shoot, we we've got Dakota. so many. Dakota, yeah, we got Dakota. We we've, we've got Lion Country Supply. We've got you know all the dog trip. We've got all of these really 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 phenomenal brands that have supported our podcast, both of ours collectively. Um, and so it's just a big public thank you to everybody that's been on board um, with both Project Upland and uh, uh, the Gun Dog Notebook. So. With that being said, guys, I can talk all day and get all fired up, but that is another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast with Project Upland with AJ DeRosa and Nick Larson. Guys, we are closing out, and to the listeners, we thank y'all and look forward to more. All right. Did y'all catch that? Of course you caught it. That was a surprise that I've been waiting on for God knows how long at this point in time. Um, I just want to say a special thank you, of course, to the Project Upland team, the Northwoods Collective team. That's AJ DeRosa, Nick Larson, Jake Terry, Chet Hervey, 
uh, Jennifer Wapinski, Edgar Castillo, everybody that I met involved with Project Upland and just making this big thing great. Um, thanks to my wife, happy Mother's Day, Miss Ashley. Um, thanks to my wife for editing, you know, all of my information because she makes me sound like, you know, way better than what I sound. So, um, you know, that's what I'm really looking forward to, you know, in the... And, you know, for the future, we are definitely going to take this thing up to another level. I hope to keep inspiring people. I want to say thank you to Mr. Joe Plote, who sent me some some amazing, just a gold mines worth of dog training essentials. You know, some, some training books. And I want to talk about those a little bit more in detail, you know, as the as the podcast goes on. Um, training supplies, you know, diagrams, stuff like that. Just really, really, really cool stuff. Tune in to my social media if you want to see what it was that he sent. Um, I just want to also, of course, give my ending shout-outs to Dakota283 Kennels um, for being so awesome. Check out Greg Cronkite and everything at Good Ideas Inc. Um, uh, Lion Country Supply. And Eric London for being just on top of everything and making sure that I have everything that I need to make sure that this dog is these dogs, not just this dog, my lab and my pointer, making sure these guys are well, well, well taken care of. Um, you can do the sporting dog. Thank you guys for just getting my dog right. All right. Um, man, it's been it's been a long time coming, guys. Um, thank you guys for y'all's kind words and reaching out, um, hanging in there with me when I done put out some kind of crazy nonsense that I think is, is called dog training. And thank you guys for, you know, sticking in me in there with me and, and really believing in this podcast. So anywho, I hope that you guys, uh, you know, are looking forward to the things that are coming up next. There's articles, check out some stuff in the Project Upland magazine that we got going on. It's just a whole game of things. Anyway, stay tuned for another awesome episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. All right, guys, catch y'all later.